0: since we're uh, celebrating our growing diversity today uh, i thought it would be good to start with a couple of english words if english is your second language you may not be familiar with these words so a little tutorial here's the first english word the word is name drop name drop you know just like drop a name here's what it means you see on the side of the screens to talk about famous people that you have met often pretending that you know them better than you really do in order to appear more important and special. You just name drop into the conversation. Anybody know a name dropper? You know, no pointing. You know, you you know. (laughs) People afterwards were name dropping at the door, telling me famous people they had met over the course of their life. Just in case you're not getting it, let me give you an example here. I could say uh, something like this. You know, uh, we're quite often as a church downtown, and this week I was talking to the mayor about some of the things that are going on downtown. D- did you hear it there? Just sort of slipped it in really nicely, talking to the mayor. Don't, don't I sound very important and special? Uh, that's not true. I didn't talk to the mayor at all, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you can think I did. I'm just false name dropping there. Uh, here's another one. You know, I had a great opportunity to share Jesus this week. I was taking my car into the Porsche dealership to get the oil changed. And uh, see, see, it it sounded very spiritual too, right? Sharing Jesus, the Porsche dealership, you got all that. Just in case you're new, no worries. No worries in that regard. 2008 Chevy Uplander minivan. Is what I'm driving, and uh, yeah, thank you. The best kind of car is a paid-for car, and uh, I have that. Uh, And some of you have worried about my car because I shared on Easter that uh, it had no heat, and the good news is the heat is fixed for this winter. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I I feel like I'm driving a luxury vehicle, really. It has heat, so the winter will be much better. So, uh, why do we name drop? You know, why do we sort of just want to put that in there so we seem special and important, right? We want to be recognized. We put that out there so people will accept us, so people will like us, so we'll say, you know, we're, we're good enough, we're acceptable enough. And if you're, if you're someone or, you know, if you go to school every day or go to work every day and you're a name dropper, it can be exhausting work. You're always trying to, you know, get yourself out there. Look how good I am. Don't you like me? Aren't I acceptable? And here's what that leads us to, this second English word, sort of the motive for name dropping. It's this word, justify. We want to justify ourselves. We want to validate ourselves. We want to say we're acceptable. It's like we have this little inner deficit inside. And so we want to say, hey, look at me. I'm okay. I'm good enough accept me and like me. And again, if you're, if you're doing that on a daily basis, it is just exhausting. It can wear you down. And this happens in all areas of life. It happens in all sorts of different relationships, but it also can happen as we think about our spiritual lives and our spiritual resume. Someone asks you this week, oh, tell me about your spiritual journey. You know, tell me about your faith. And you can name drop some things in there. You can give your spiritual resume. You can talk about how long you've come to church. You know, that you grew up in church and your parents maybe had prominent positions in the church that, uh, you know, what your father or mother did in that regard. Ask you about your faith. You could talk about a missions trip you went on and how good it felt and all that you did on the missions trip. You could talk about your Bible reading and how you're reading books and Bible and learning all these great things. That would be your spiritual resume, your spiritual name drops. Look at me. Look, I'm doing these things. Aren't I good and aren't I acceptable? And as you think about that in the human realm, to the degree that we do that, and you sense that in us, sense that in yourself, I just gotta feel a little more accepted. You know, a little more uh, that I'm okay. A little, a little better, a little more You know that you love me, that you'll accept me. Think about how that might play over in your relationship with God. And I think when we feel the deficit with other people, we can also feel it towards God. And so we bring God our spiritual resume. God, look at me. Won't you accept me? Won't you you know, welcome me? God, are you for me? Are you with me? And so you'll see on the screen, here's the verse that the story ends with today. It's really an incredible verse. It's a story about two men who leave church. And when they leave church, here's what it says. And I tell you this man, the second man in the story, not the first man, went home justified before God. That means he went home guiltless before God. It means he went home totally and completely accepted by God. It means he went home knowing that he was in with God, never to be out again. Think of that for a moment. He's leaving church, leaving the temple in this story, fully justified. I'm in. I'm guiltless before God, and I know he has and always will accept me. Think of the freedom he goes home with. He's just free. Think of the joy he feels. I'm free to live my life because I know that God is accepting. me. I don't need to keep working to be accepted and be approved because I know that I'm justified before God. Think of the hope he goes home with. No matter what happens that week, that month, this year, this decade, he's like, God has justified me. I am accepted by him and I know the best is yet to come. I know that one day he will welcome me home. Think of the hope he has. And then think of the strength he has to change. To say, I can change my life. I can take a risk. I can do new things. I can try to improve and get rid of sin in my life because I know that God has accepted me. And even if I fail, even if I fail to change, fail in a risk, I know that I am justified before God. That's what this man leaves the temple with. And my hope and prayer for this morning for us is that we would leave with that same sense, the same freedom in our life to know that God has accepted us, the same hope of our future, the same strength to live today. That's my hope and prayer for us, for any of us that are name droppers and trying to justify ourselves. May we see what God has done for us through Christ. So let me invite you, our passage is Luke chapter 18. We're going through a series on Luke and let me just invite you to turn on your Bibles, open them up so you can follow along with me this morning. And as you do that, let me just introduce myself. My name is Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here in Harbor Online, welcome to you. And thank you to those of you that are wearing some Canadian clothes. We're going out there, stay off your phones. We'll get out there by 12 o'clock to watch the Canada game, uh, watch the second half and cheer them on to victory, I'm hoping today. That would be good, there we go. (laughs) Uh, We are continuing on in our series through the book of Luke, second half of the book of Luke. Uh, We've done two series, On the Road to Jerusalem and Making Disciples. And Luke tells it like a travel log. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He sets out resolutely, knowing he's going to die on the cross in Jerusalem. But he's heading there, and on the way, he's making disciples. But right before he arrives in Jerusalem, right before Luke records these little stories, they're stories of ordinary people who find Christ. They're the stories you don't kind of, the kind of people you don't expect. But Luke, right sort of at the end, before Jesus arrives, he gives us these little vignettes and he starts with this one, which is a parable, which is an illustration of all the other people that Jesus will encounter right before he gets to Jerusalem. It's like Luke's way of saying, these are the people that have gotten it and these are the people that don't. And so those, that's who we come to look at today. So here's what we're gonna do. One is we'll look at the Bible story of this story of two men. Then we'll look at the modern day story and I'll just tell it again in modern day terms, just so we can see what Jesus is teaching here. And then the third time we'll go through is a personal story and we'll partake of the Lord's supper together. So in your Bibles, Luke chapter 18, verse nine, look down there together. Here's what it reads. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. To those who were name droppers, Jesus told this parable. To those who elevated themselves and in doing so looked down on others, Jesus tells this story. The nice thing about it is Jesus cares about name droppers. He cares about those that are elevating themselves and he tells this story so they can see the true message, the true message of the gospel of Christ. And so verse 10, here's how the story opens. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So this is a, part, a pretty common everyday experience for Jesus' audience. In the temple, there would have been two prayer times, a morning prayer time and a late afternoon evening prayer time. Every wooden would have gone for the prayer and for the sacrifice. So this is a fairly common experience that the pharisee is going is no big deal he would have gone all the time the surprising part in the story is that a second person is going who was not really known for any sort of looking up any sort of godward life is the tax collector and so as the people of jesus's day hear this story they're like oh yeah pharisee went to the temple for prayers and sacrifice morning and evening common but a tax collector went that would have been the surprise And now, Jesus is going to tell us about each of the two people. First person, the Pharisee. He stood by himself, verse 11, and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even this tax collector. So you see, he gives a list of three things there. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not a robber. God, i thank you that i'm not stealing money from people i thank you that i'm not greedy and then the second one god i thank you that i'm not an evildoer i'm not dishonest i'm not unjust and a pharisee is probably a leader in the synagogue middle-aged middle-class upper middle-class businessman that's probably who this man is and so here's what he's saying in my business i'm not robbing and stealing from people and i'm honest And for those of you that hire people or look for a good business person, you're saying, can I get this guy's card? I'd like to work with him. If he's gonna be honest and give me a fair price and not trying to cheat me, that's rare. I'd like to work with this guy, he's a good man. And then he not only sort of gives his business standing, but he also then talks about his personal life. And he says, I'm not an adulterer, meaning he's been faithful to his wife. In a culture where sexual immorality was rampant, here this man is saying, I've been faithful to one woman. That's a good thing. And so you're looking in on this Pharisee, the three things he's mentioning are good and honorable things. If you were to meet this man, you would like his character and say, hey, let's go out for coffee. I'd like to to get to know you more. But yet you see what he's doing with these things. He's sort of name dropping them. He's like, God, here's my morality, and it's good morality. And God, you must like me for these things. You you must justify me. Look how righteous and good I'm in. And if you're familiar with this guy, you can sort of think, and if you know the story, you're like, oh yeah, I know this. I would never be like him. But let me try to give some other examples as you would analyze your own prayer life and things you might pray just got some general examples. These are way too dangerous to give specifics. You'll see why. Think of politics. Who's the political person or party that you hate the most? Yeah, yeah, see, that's why I'm not giving examples, (laughs) right? America or Canada, if you had a vote in an election, who would you never vote for? Now, have you ever prayed? God, I thank you that I'm not like them. I thank you I'm not one of those people I thank you I'm not a part of that party how about the social issue that when you hear it raised you just put your head down you're like don't even talk to me about that I can't even believe this is an issue right you just get angry you get upset you don't want to hear about it right just think of that social issue now think of the person who represents that God I thank you that I don't think that's important God, I thank you that I have not lost my mind like that person has lost their minds. God, I thank you that I don't care about those kind of things. Third one, no specifics here. Think of the person who thinks of COVID response the exactly opposite of you. You you know that person, right? And they're all we've got a whole variety here at Arbor. Think of the person right? is exactly the opposite. Like, you think the way you handled COVID, they handled it totally wrong because they handled it totally different than you. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. God, I thank you I did not do what they did. I thank you that I have not responded in that way. Fourth one, think of the church culture or the church that you don't like. God, I thank you that I don't go to that church. God, I thank you that we don't do that, or I don't like that. And you can just fill in the that, right? And here's the last one. Just think of the person whose life is the biggest mess you know. Just the person whose life, you're just like, it's a disaster. I, I don't even know if Jesus could help them, right? That's how you feel. And then if you ever sort of pray, God, I just thank you that I'm not like them. God, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not that bad. You know, at least I haven't arrived there. So you see how those things begin to creep in, don't you? See how we can begin to say, God, I'm name dropping, right? Here's who I am. Here, look at me, God, I'm not like them and I'm not like them and I'm not like this. Now, let me just clarify it in this way. The things that I've mentioned, as in the things Jesus has mentioned, those issues really matter. I'm not saying these issues don't matter. We disagree on them and can disagree strongly. This is not how we, and it is appropriate to confront sin. But this is not that. This is not confronting sin, as in Jesus's case of robbing or adultery. This is how we pray to God. This is our personal prayers, and we're getting a window into this guy's heart, and here's what he's praying. Look at me, God, I'm better than everyone else. I'm superior. I'm name dropping to God. Look how me, look how good I am. So that's his morality. That's what he brings before God. Here's the second thing he brings before God, just as impressive, right? Really strong morality. Second thing, I have, verse 12, I fast twice a week and give a 10th of all I get. So Jewish law required that a person fast once a year. And he's probably saying here twice a week, probably fasting all day Monday and all day Thursday. So again, this religious leader, this Pharisee, as far as spiritual disciplines, is doing quite well. Some of you know that we as a church try to fast every first wednesday you know eat dinner on tuesday night and then fast for 24 hours and then eat a late dinner on wednesday i try to do that every first wednesday of the month and this last um last in november i was really looking forward to that was anticipating and i've got these little reminders set on my phone and i send myself emails so i don't forget and so i had dinner on tuesday had a good night where I was sort of praying, no snacks, and just said, okay, God, I'm not going to have a snack. I'm just going to spend some time fasting and praying. You know, I was up Wednesday morning. I work at home Wednesday morning and had some good time with the Lord in prayer, marking that I was going to fast and pray the rest of the day. And then I was was wrapping things up at home. It's about 9.30 in the morning, and I'm downstairs eating a bowl of cereal. You know? And as I put the last spoon in my mouth, the Lord sort of reminded me. He said, Jeff, I thought we were fasting and praying today. And I was like, Lord, We were. You should have reminded me earlier, before I poured the moral cereal, right? And so here, I was, and again, I, 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 it wasn't like I got hungry and just said, let me give up on the fast. I just couldn't even remember I was fasting. And I look at this guy, and he's fasting twice a week. Like, this is quite impressive. I am impressed with him. And then the second thing he's doing is he's giving a tenth of all that he gets. You know, the biblical teaching is tithe 10% of your income. In the Jewish cult, they had to tithe on required parts of their income. But he's saying, on everything I get, I'm tithing 10%. So in modern day terms, this is like getting a $20 gift card from Tim's for your birthday, and you chip in $2 to the offering. This guy's doing really well financially. Spiritual disciplines, fasting and praying, you know, he's giving generously if this guy was here today our finance team would say jeff could you play the four ways to give video again right does he know e-transfer you know can we tell him about that we'd like to receive his tithe and again you think of this man he's strong morality strong spiritual disciplines strong with his finance you meet him in the atrium afterwards you're gonna be like hey let's grab coffee i'd love to get to know you more that's the first person second person in the story but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said god have mercy on me a sinner you see both men are standing on their own both are standing by themselves the pharisee probably standing more near the front off to himself so everyone can see him but the tax collector he's way in the back at a distance you know what he's thinking oh my goodness i can't even believe i'm here at the temple what are these people going to say about me right you just know the social pressure he's feeling he doesn't even want to talk to them because he knows they're going to look down on him and then he can't even look up to heaven it's just a sign of just this utter humility feeling the weight he is and he's he's looking down and then he's beating his breast you just feel the weight of the sin that is upon him And then he has a spiritual resume as well. The Pharisee's given his spiritual resume and it's strong. He has a spiritual resume, but as well as a request. The request is God have mercy on me. And then he puts out his resume and he simply says, I am a sinner. God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. That's the entirety of his resume, I'm a sinner. And what's so powerful about this prayer is that it's so brief. It's just, I'm a sinner. You sort of know how we do this prayer. Maybe you've done this prayer. God, I'm a sinner, but you don't understand the family I grew up in. You know, if my dad was different, if my mom, you don't know my brothers, my sister, my family, right? God, I'm I'm a sinner. But, you know, the Roman Empire, they came and, like, took over our country. And I didn't have any choice but how to make money but be a tax collector. God, it's their fault. They hadn't have done that. You know, or God, I'm a sinner. But, you know, there's some other sinners in this city too here. Like, look at them. And look at them. They're far worse than me. Right? Or, you know, God, I'm a sinner. But look at these temple people. They're, they're never nice to me. They don't welcome me. They don't greet me. Right, just criti- you know, all sorts of criti- criticizing for them. You know this, right? We all know it. I'm a sinner, but let me justify it. I'm a sinner, but let me blame someone else. I'm a sinner, but let me sort of deflect other people are worse. I'm a sinner, but let me criticize you. But this man's got none of that. The power of this prayer is the brevity of it. God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. That's it. That's his entire resume. And then here comes the shocking ending. It's shocking. Here's what Jesus says. I tell you, verse 14, that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Who is justified? Who stands before God guiltless it's the tax collector he humbles himself and he receives the mercy of god here's what we learn the position in society the position in the temple means nothing it is the position of the heart that means everything and imagine this tax collector he's leaving with such freedom such joy He's like, I don't care what anyone else thinks of me. God has accepted me. God has declared me guiltless. Say what you weigh about me, but I'm free and I'm full of joy. Imagine the hope he leaves with, no matter what's gonna happen. And some of you just need to remember this hope today, no matter what happens this week, this month, this year, this next decade, God, you have declared me guiltless and I will be with you one day. The best is yet to come. And imagine the strength he leaves with. Now again, he's gotta clean up his life, he knows that. But now, he can work at that. He can take the chance of failing, of falling, knowing that he is guiltless before God, and no matter what happens, he's in. God's accepted him, he can risk, and it's out of this being justified, he can find his strength. This is the essence of the Christian gospel. It's not our morality, It's not our spiritual activities. They don't save us. Now these things are good that the Pharisees doing are really good things. They just don't earn our acceptance before God. If we try to name drop them, they mean nothing. And we can forget that. You, You can maybe not know that as someone brand new to church or you can forget that the longer you are in church. So that's the first story the story that Jesus tells but let me just make it a modern day story let me tell you about Jack and Sam and I hope there's no one here named Jack and Sam I tried to pick names that did not represent and they were short and easy to say Jack let me tell you about him he'd grown up in church all his life he'd been going to Sunday school since he was little he knew everybody in the church and everybody loved Jack And so on this Sunday morning, Jack's arrived a little bit early. He wants to greet people. You know, he comes in. He sees his parents over the side. He waves to them, and he knows how proud they are of him. Comes down the center aisle. There's an elderly gentleman sitting on the aisle. He shakes his hand. The elderly gentleman says to him, God is good. And Jack's like, oh, I know this one. And he says, all the time. And the older gentleman says, all the time. And Jack says, God is good. It's like, I got that one right. You know, and he keeps walking up to the front, not too close. But close enough, he wants to be in the front. Sits not right at the front, just off to the side a little bit. a spot where he knows everyone can see him. He's got his big Bible in his hand, the biggest one he could find. He sits down in the pew there, and he bows his head. And he knows that's what he's supposed to do, right? Look down and close his eyes. And he knows the longer he does that, the better it looks. And as he closes his eyes there, he reflects on his life. he's grown up in a good christian family he made a pledge when he was young never consumed alcohol never did drugs he's got a wonderful girlfriend and they have clear sexual boundaries that they have honored he loves intellectual conversations with people he's committed to alleviating the world of some of the injustices on friday nights he doesn't go out and do what some of his university friends do in fact he's at his young adults group in a home playing games and socializing jack's graduated from the local university with a business degree he's joined the family business that his father owns and everyone knows that jack one day will lead the business and lead it well as jack bows his head he just says i'm a good christian nothing to confess nothing to be ashamed about just has a wonderful sense of inner satisfaction on all that he has done and all that he's bringing before God and then as he lifts up his head he sees out of the corner of his eye and he looks around he says oh is that Sam and he checks to see if his wallet is in his pants he didn't leave it in his coat in his atrium because he knows Sam and he thinks what right does Sam have to be in church and then if he had to knowing what Sam was thinking Sam was thinking the same thing right what right do I have to be in church Sam hasn't been in church in years He's not sure if you come to the front and kneel first or cross yourself or what you do. So he just decides he's going to take a seat in the back. That will be the, most ob- the, the least you know, obvious place. He's not sure what else he's supposed to do. And as he slips into his seat to sit down, he sees Jack turn around and look at him and he says, Oh, great. Jack is here. I'm never going to live this down, what he'll say about me. You may have guessed, Sam's not really a religious guy. He's not really a church attender. He's been rebellious since he was in grade three. In his later years, if there was trouble on his street, or the, everyone knew the police would be at Sam's house. He's indulged himself in just about every substance you could imagine, and even on this morning, he still has the smell of alcohol on his breath and as Sam slumps down in that seat so Jack maybe won't see him he thinks to himself why on earth am I in church why am I even here today and then he begins to reflect back on his Saturday and he remembers Saturday morning where he had a fight with his mother he'd stolen money from her again and she had lost it kicked him out of the house with his stuff and this time, Sam sort of knew that she was serious, that he'd never live in that home again. So he headed over to his girlfriend's house where he spent some time anyway. When he arrived there, his girlfriend found out that Sam had been cheating on her with one of her good friends. She slaps him, uses all sorts of four letter words and he's humiliated and leaves that home. He decides just to drown his sorrows in wild living that night, and that's exactly what he does. He sleeps on a friend's couch and then gets up in time to make it to church. Still got the same clothes on and his hair looks like he slept on the couch. And there he is slumped in the back row of the the church. He's feeling what a mess his life is, and he's feeling so dirty and then as he hears the word preached the guilt and the shame just begin to weigh him down the reality of his life and just with clenched fists he's feeling the full weight of his sin and then sam prays the first real prayer he's ever prayed and it's simply this oh god Have mercy on me, a sinner. And here's how Jesus ends the story. I tell you, Sam, rather than Jack, went home justified that day. That's the Christian gospel. And when we think we bring something to God, we don't. It's only when we admit that we bring nothing, that we are sinners. Think of the shock of this. Think of the shock. If Jack and Sam both die on their way home from church, Sam will go to be in the presence of God and spend eternity with him, and Jack will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Think of the gravity of this, that that nothing we bring before God is ever enough. It's just simply admitting, oh Lord, have mercy on me, I am a sinner. Ponder with me a moment the freedom and the joy that Sam leaves with. He leaves church full of hope. I'm forgiven. I'm guiltless before God. All of this is washed away. I can start fresh and anew. Think of the hope he has. His life's a mess. You don't know it's gonna turn out well in this world, but he's like, God, thank you, Lord, that no matter what happens, that I know one day you will welcome me home. And think of the, he's got a lot of work to do, Sam, but he can risk, he can work hard. He can fail knowing that even if he fails, God has declared him guiltless, accepted him, and he can get up and try again. This is the Christian message. It's not how good we are. It's not our morality, our spiritual disciplines. It's not us name dropping before God. It's just simply that prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Let me just talk about that word mercy for a moment. We've seen a couple of other places in Luke where someone cried out from the crowd, Jesus, have mercy on me. And when they did that, they meant had pity on me, have compassion on me. But here, Jesus uses another word for this mercy. You can see why, in a moment, you'll see why we translate it mercy, but the real world, you'll see it on the screen. If you don't speak English as a first language, you don't know this word. And if you speak English as a first language, you don't know this word either. We're all in the same category, all right? But the literal translation is God, propitiate me, a sinner. Propitiate me means God, forgive me. God, atone for me. God, appease your anger against me by covering over my sin. That's what the man prayed. Prayed, God, propitiate me. God, have mercy on me. God, do not give me what I deserve because of my sin. I've earned nothing. And remember, this moment is happening at the evening prayer time, probably. And the evening prayer at the temple would have had a prayer time, but it also would have had a sacrifice of a lamb. And so the tax collector is there in the back. He's watching a priest sacrifice a lamb. And we know that symbol, the symbol of the the lamb dying because of sin, and sin always causes death, but then the blood being spilled out on the altar as a symbol of God's forgiveness for us. And the tax collector looks at that lamb being being slaughtered, and he says, God, cover me, have mercy on me, cover over my sin, May, may the lamb's death take my place, may the blood of the lamb cover me. And we know this symbol. Again, that was just a symbol from the Old Testament to remind us of Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. What does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we look to Christ on the cross and see his spilled blood for us. And our only prayer is, God, propitiate me. God, have mercy. God, cover over me me. It's nothing of ourselves, nothing we bring, nothing we can name drop, only what Christ does for us. So this morning, if you find yourself name dropping this week in an environment where you're like, hey, look at me, aren't I good? Here's the thing to remember, you're trying to cover an inner deficit, right? You're trying to cover up saying, oh, go back to this, The Christian gospel is God has accepted you. And if God has accepted you and declared you guiltless, you don't need to worry about what anyone else thinks of you. You're free of that. For some of you this morning, you may have heard your own story in the Jack story. You're like Jack. You're like the Pharisee. You've thought all your life, you just bring your, your resume to God. Your good morality, your spiritual disciplines. Here's what we've learned. We can never be righteous enough. When we compare ourselves to each other, you can look good. When you compare yourself to God, we all realize the only thing we need is mercy. And so if you're like Jack this morning, wouldn't you just say that simple prayer? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And your sin might be your own self-righteousness. And then some of you, you may be like Sam. And you've heard this, and there is great hope in your heart that a tax collector that someone like you could be justified, declared guiltless before God, and leave here today utterly assured of your standing before God. Next week, we see a story of a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He would have heard Jesus. He would have heard of Jesus's teaching. And you know what he heard? There's hope for me, and I got to find this Jesus guy. And he went on a search to find Jesus. That's next week. But if you're here today, and you're a sinner, right? You know you're a sinner. Would you just simply then look to Christ and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And for all the rest of us, as we move into communion, let me just give this application point. If you wanna put this story in the context of all of our Christian lives, here's, you'll see on the screens, here's the principle. What's the Christian life about? Crucifying your inner Pharisee and getting in touch with your inner tax collector. Isn't that it? Every day, crucify your inner Pharisee. He always wants to rise up. And get in touch with your inner tax collector. We always don't think he's there. In touch, crucify the inner Pharisee. Get in touch with your inner tax collector. And it's that thought that I'd like us to ponder as we move into this Lord's Table time. Let me just briefly explain how this works and then i want to give us a few moments as we come just to meditate on these truths if you've prayed that prayer lord lord have mercy on me a sinner you are welcome to participate if you've not prayed that prayer then we won't want you to take of something externally that you don't believe internally we're so grateful you're here you're just welcome to remain in your seat in a moment i'll invite you to come forward come to the table that's open come two at a time to the table or come to the table right in front of you starting in the back moving forward grab a A cup of bread and a cup of juice and return to your seat and then once everyone has received the elements I will return uh, along with Russ and Ethan and we will take the elements together so let's meditate on this crucifying our inner Pharisee getting in touch with our inner tax collector but now starting in the front please come and receive the elements joined by Russ, one of our elders, and Ethan, who's on our staff here, as we take communion together. We're going to do two themes for the communion, so we'll take the elements separately today. And so, continuing on our theme of God's mercy, I've asked Russ to lead us in a scripture reading and and prayer.
1: Reading from Hebrews 8, verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Please join me in taking the bread together. our heads together. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, and for something that we could not possibly have in any other way, our salvation. There is no bargaining to be had here, Father. There is nothing that we could bring in the way of righteousness, our morality, our own supposed goodness. It is only in our utter submission, and our confession of Jesus is Lord, that we are reborn in you. In all humility, Father, we thank you.
0: Amen. 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 And now, as in a moment, I'll ask Ethan to lead us in the taking of the cup together. And what we want to mark is that wonderful picture we read in Scripture, that what brings us unity together is that we all are worshiping the Lamb, the Lamb who was slayed for us. So Ethan, lead us now.
2: I'm reading from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Please join me as we take the cup together. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that while we were great sinners, that Christ died for us. And we look forward to the day when people gathered from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language uh, will come and stand before your throne and praise you in worship for all eternity. We pray that you would use us as as your servants um, to make disciples of all the nations and that you would give us unity in the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
0: What a wonderful prayer, isn't it? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's the brevity that gives it such depth as we just admit we bring nothing to God and he forgives us of all. In a moment, we're gonna go out and, and got some great snacks. Thank you for those of you that are in costume, not costume, <laughs> thank you for those of you that wear your country dress. Let me just say a few things as we prepare to go. You'll see on the screens next week is the breakfast. When you enter the auditorium, it will all be tables and chairs. And so thank you for those, so many of you, inviting people to come for the breakfast. We're trusting the Lord that many of you invite, those of you invited will come. If you, if the person you invite doesn't come next week, then please be friendly to everyone else whose friends have come. And here's the phrase you can say 10 times next Sunday, come sit with me, come sit with me. Just keep saying that, just keep inviting people to join you as you see someone by yourself. Then the, la- the other thing I'll mention is Share the Joy, our campaign. We are passionate as a church about sharing the gospel and starting churches, and so we support church planters both locally and around the world. We give them money as a way to encourage them, but also at Christmas we try to encourage them with a gift. And if you remember when Quentin was here in the summer, he said, thank you to Harbor. No church encouraged him like Harbor did. And that's the testimony we want to have with all of our church starters because it is so And so here's what you can do. You can give a gift to a church planter's wife or to their children. Some have no children, one has nine. So there's variety, but every kid is getting a gift. And so please see the table as well as other options to sign up for that. The Canada-Croatia game is on. Who's been on their phone and knows the score? Okay, two to one for Croatia, okay. So they need our cheering, we better get out there. Uh, (laughs) Let me invite you to stand. Uh, We thought for Christmas, it would be nice to close the service before we say the four words we always do, just to sing a a chorus together, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. Josh.
3: And oh, come let us adore Him, O oh, come, let us adore him. O oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And with that, harbor, we are sent.